This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about what we believe as Christians and why, questions about something going on in your life, uh, just something that you've got rattling around in your brain that you need to get an answer. We'll do the very best that we can to provide those answers, hopefully in a way that always edifies the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our goal. Here's our phone numbers for your live calls, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. Somebody said, why do you say the phone number so often? And, and my response was, because we want phone calls. So 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com. Or you can send them in via our free mobile app. We've got a lot of questions that have been sent in. But we'd much rather have your live calls because it's just true that you're more interesting than I am. It's Tuesday, so there's nothing going on, so let me get right to the questions. The first one comes from Veronica. And she said, Pastor Ron, why do you think Samson is included in Hebrews chapter 11 after living such a sinful life? Veronica, the explanation is that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. That God is faithful even when we are faithless. That's the answer. With his last breath, Samson believed God, he trusted God, and he went out well. He lived horribly, to be sure. You talk about squandered potential and squandered gifts and missed out opportunities. But he died well, he finished well. And I love the grace of a God that would overlook all of our sins and credit to our account righteousness. One of the things, Veronica, that we always need to remember is that when we who are believers are going to stand before Jesus at the Bama seat of Christ, that's the reward seat, we're going to be there to be rewarded, to be recognized. Now, it's also true we're going to lose some rewards. But God is going to sort of announce our faithfulness. And Samson is a good example. I love the fact that in the New Testament, Samson's sins aren't mentioned. That all of his failures aren't mentioned. You know, when I teach the book of Judges and I teach in Samson's life, uh, it's really almost discouraging. But all of that is gone when we get to the New Testament. And that's because love covers a multitude of sins. His love for us, not our love for him, surely. 
But Samson is there because in the end, he finished his course. And he's one that we can really say finished much better than he ever ran his race. So, Veronica, that's why he's there. We serve a gracious, loving God who's slow to anger, who's compassionate. A God who's abounding in love. That's who he is. And Hebrews 11 is just proof of that. You know, there's a lot of people in Hebrews chapter 11 who did some bad things. Samson was one of them. Thank you, Veronica, for your question. 340-9585. I love this question. It's from Daniel. He says, I am a worship leader in a medium-sized church. What should I focus on to really honor Jesus with my gifts? First of all, Daniel, let me say that wanting to honor the Lord with your gifts is... um, I can't tell you how much it blesses me, especially when you have gifts that people like me would die for. I can't tell you how much I would love to be able to stand on a stage and play lead guitar or how much I'd love to be up there singing. But you see, I don't have any of those gifts. And as much as I'd like them, they're just not available. And it's clear from the tenor of your question that you appreciate the gifts that you've been given by God. And because he's given you those gifts and because he's given you opportunity to use those gifts, you're bound to honor him. And so I admire you very, very much, Daniel. It doesn't say how old you are. Uh, that's not really important other than you have a maturity that would suggest you're older than, um, than, than somebody who's just starting out in doing this. So God bless you, bro. A couple of things um, to focus. One, personal holiness. You need to focus on your own walk with the Lord. When you are together with your worship team, it shouldn't be about rehearsal or only about rehearsal. Sure, you want to do well. But your focus, even in rehearsal, needs to be Jesus and not on what you're doing. Focus on Jesus. You can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, but Jesus said, apart from Him, we can do nothing. So even your natural giftedness needs the help of the Holy Spirit. In order for that, you must obey God. You have to walk in personal holiness. You have to be able to, to, to live the lyrics that you're singing. Focus on the songs. Perfectly consider the songs. I can't tell you, my worship pastor is like a son to me. Now, he's not a young man, but, but he's like a son to me. And I can't tell you how many times the Lord will be speaking to me through those lyrics before I go up on stage and give a message. There's been dozens of times over the years, Daniel, where just the choice of songs, perfectly thought out, speaks so profoundly to my heart that God will really change the direction of a message I'm giving, not the content necessarily, but the direction of the theme of it. So prayerfully consider the selection of songs. Make sure all the songs are lyrically correct. And by that I mean that there's no bad doctrine. So much of our worship is now so emotional and so worldly in, a, in, a, in an emotional sense that, that they're unbiblical, doctrinally. So make sure that the lyrics are lyrics that can be defended scripturally. Make sure the lyrics of the songs that you choose focus way more on what he's done than what we're going to do. 
one of the sad things that I've seen as a trend, Daniel, is I've watched people decide that, excuse me just for a second, having some voice issues today. Um, one of the things that I've seen is that people are uh, focusing on making all kinds of promises to God in the process of, of singing the songs, writing the songs, and that's certainly not something that we want to do. So we want to focus on what he has already done. Um, live the lyrics. Make sure that you can stand before the people and you're genuine, you're real. People can tell you love God. Make sure the focus is on Him. Not too much performing. Again, I understand musicians, I understand your emotional, creative people, but jumping around the stage and taking the attention away from Jesus is not good. And then, Daniel, I'm going to just say this as my final shot here. And these are hard things to hear for some worship pastors. But believe me, it's much better if you just shut up and sing. Don't talk, don't teach, don't pray during the worship sets. It drives me crazy and ruins the, the, the worship atmosphere. When between songs, the worship leader is in the microphone talking. Or when he's trying to encourage the people to worship. Come on, everybody, let's worship the Lord. That's what we're doing when we're singing songs. So be quiet. Sing the songs and honor the Lord. If you pray to begin or if you pray to end, make your prayers brief. And remember, your role is to lead people like me into the throne room of God. It's a great privilege that you have, Daniel. Wonderful gifts. And I'm, I hope in a godly way, jealous. I'm sure some of that jealousy is not godly, though. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate your heart very, very much. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a tough question. Uh, Anonymous says, I have a family member suffering from mental illness. Our family is torn apart trying to figure out how to help. How can we help him? I said this was a tough question because, you know, there's a lot more we cannot do than that we can do. Anonymous, I don't mean to sound trite here when I say this, but the best thing that you can do is be personally close to Jesus in your walk and pray for your family member. Your personal obedience, make sure your prayers are heard. Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world. We've got some people in our church body. We've met many, many people over the years who have all kinds of um, mental issues, emotional issues, people who are just not healthy physiologically, speaking of their, their minds, their brains. And there's not a lot you can do. The one thing that isn't good to do is to help them sin. For instance, a lot of people with mental illnesses want to do drugs or drink. Um, 
or asking for money. It's not a good thing to do. Um, so you do what you can do. And most of the time, all we've got to give people is Jesus. We just had our joy of Jesus. You guys know that. We talked about it quite a bit the week following the uh, the event. And a lot of the people that we minister to are mentally ill. Well, all we can do is love them. That's all we can do. Love them and pray. Pray for a breakthrough. Pray that God would heal them. You know, I've got a group of people. I've got a prayer wall uh, in my office at home. It's actually Paula's office, but sometimes she lets me call it my office. But on that prayer wall, uh, just tons and tons and tons of pictures of people. And that's one of the ways that I remember to pray for everybody. And as I'm staring at that prayer wall, there's, there, I've got people in groups. And we've got some people who either have family members or who themselves are uh, have been stricken, stricken with mental illness. And, and I want to pray for them. And, and you know, my prayer is always, God healed their brain. But those prayers haven't yet been answered. So what I ask the Lord to do is sustain them daily, keep them safe. The family members who are in so much pain, as you said, your family members are. It's a terrible burden to bear. So you stay close to Jesus. You love your family member. And you pray. Don't give up on them. At the same time, don't make it easy for them to sin. Don't enable them. And that's all I can suggest. There's not a lot we can do. We have people that we've committed into institutions for a short period of time. They get released. The, the nature of a lot of mental illness is that people want to, to be independent. They want to be out on the streets homeless. So whenever we're face-to-face -face with them, we love them. It's okay to tell them what they're doing is wrong or the way they're thinking is wrong. It's okay to try to steer them in the right direction. But remember that you can't affect any real change. Only Jesus can. We take a minute to talk about two of my dear friends, my my partners in police work. They they are nice enough to let me ride along with them from time to time. Uh, uh, Ernie and Joe, uh, they head up the San Antonio Police Department Mental Health Unit, and it's really really a, 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 a thankless. I mean, they're doing it for the Lord, and they're doing it by the Lord's power. But, but it's a really thankless job, simply because there's not a lot of change that can be affected. But you know what? They take the approach every day that the people that they're talking to, and they consider what they do a ministry. It's their job, but it's a ministry for them. And they take sort of the direction that this might be the only good thing that happens to somebody today and, and that's when they run into me I get to tell them about Jesus or I get to tell them that we care about them I get to listen to them you know some people never get listened to and in writing with Ernie and Joe I've seen so many times where they are so patient with people at the same time I can watch their hearts break and I think, Anonymous, sometimes that's the best thing we can do. We can just let our hearts be broken for them. And then we can offer heartfelt prayers on their behalf. So for our audience, I'd ask you to keep uh, Officer Ernie and Officer Joe in your prayers. 
um, what they do every day is heroic. At the same time, um, we can take a lesson from them. We can just take the opportunity for the time that we have face-to-face with people and love them. Remind them always that Jesus loves them. Remind them that there are options. They don't have to be stuck where they are. But ultimately, when they make the wrong choices, sometimes we're going to have to just move on with our lives. I know that doesn't help you a lot, Anonymous. But it's the only answer. Jesus is always and only the answer. So thanks for listening to the program. Thanks for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from James. That would be an easy one. Uh, Must we be baptized to be saved? The answer is no. James, we get baptized because we are saved, not to get saved. I hope that makes sense. When we are baptized, we are making a public declaration. That's what baptism is sort of the New Testament counterpart to circumcision in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, somebody would be circumcised. It was a painful cutting away of the flesh. It was a sign that they belonged to God. Well, baptism is the same thing advanced a little bit. And by that I mean, yes, there's a painful cutting away of our flesh when we give our hearts to Jesus. But all of that gets dead and buried. And that's what baptism is. When we get baptized, essentially what we're doing It's inviting people to our funeral. We're giving them the opportunity to uh, watch us die and then, figuratively speaking, raise from the dead in the newness of life when we come up out of the water. We ask that God will fill people with His Holy Spirit, fill in power. They already have the person of the Holy Spirit living in them. But we want fresh power in their lives. And the key to having power of the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit coming upon you, is obedience. Acts 5.32, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. And that context there is always in power. So we obey. But we don't have to be baptized to be saved. Um, The Apostle Paul, when... He was talking about baptism and writing to the Corinthians. He said, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. And then he remembered a couple that he baptized. But but baptism wasn't an essential for salvation. It is a response to salvation. And I know there are certain groups that misunderstand passages of Scripture where Peter's preaching to Jews. They, they don't understand the historical context. Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That's not get baptized so your sins will be forgiven. It's get baptized because they are forgiven. So we're saved by grace through faith. And even the faith is a gift from God. So get baptized because Jesus said to do it. It's one of the two sacraments of the New Testament church that we are to practice. Communion, of course, being the other. So James, we get baptized because Jesus said to do it. One more thing about baptism. It's very tiring for people like me, pastors. You know, I think I spend most of my life in pain over other people's choices. The choices they make to be disobedient, the choices they make to sin, the things that they choose to argue about. Why would any Christian not want to be baptized? 
I don't get it. It's like telling the whole world, remember, the angels long to look into these things. The Apostle Paul says they're watching, peering out sort of over the edge of time and space. Why wouldn't we want to publicly declare our faith of Jesus Christ? And I've had so many people over the years say, well, well you know, if you don't have to do, to be saved, I don't, I'm not going to get baptized. I, I don't understand that kind of thinking at all. That's like saying you don't have to be a good husband or you don't have to be a loving wife to be saved. So I'm not going to do it. Why wouldn't we want to please the Lord? And baptism certainly is one of those things that pleases our Jesus. So uh, I hope that helps answer your question. Here is a question from another anonymous question. Pastor Ron, what do you think is the biggest impediment to being faithful over a long period of time. Anonymous, that's the best question that I'll ever get. And I mean, we've had questions like that. So, uh, but, but this is the one thing we all ought to be looking for. How do I finish my course better than I started? You know, when I pray in the mornings and I'm walking with Jesus, for, the- for me and for Paula, it's always, Lord, let us finish better than we started. Let us finish in a way that puts a smile on your face. Let us finish our course. I don't want to do any more, but I certainly don't want to do any less. Lord, I want everything you have for us. So we want to finish. And this is the kind of heart that's required to finish well. You have to want to. And the question seems to suggest an understanding that it's difficult sometimes over a long period of time. Let me tell you what I think the biggest obstacles are. The first, and I just make up this word, so sometimes I make up words to make a point. Uh, I think it's the ordinariness of life. You know, we read the book of Acts, and it's almost like, you know, the early church goes from one chapter of miracle to the next chapter of miracle to the next chapter of miracle, and boy, it's like the miracle, 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 miracle. But, but remember, that's about a 30-year period of time that's being covered in the book of Acts. So over 30 years, there was far more time spent just sort of being obedient, being faithful, drudging through, bearing our burdens. In fact, in the Apostle Paul's life, they traveled on horseback or they traveled by, by, by walking. And so there was a lot of downtime. It's one of the reasons I believe with all of my heart the Apostle Paul could have such an impressive prayer list. He spent his downtime in prayer. What a great object lesson for all of us. And I think we who are humans, especially here in the United States, we, we sort of get lost in the ordinariness of it. We want more miracles. We want more goosebumps. We want more excitement. We want to see people get saved. But how about our faithfulness at work? How about being the best employee wherever it is you work, regardless of how much you get paid, regardless of how you're treated? But but it's simply in being the best employee, rightly representing Jesus, that you're going to finish your course. Most people don't have a called to ministry as as a vocation we're all called to minister but to a lot of people in fact most of you your call to minister is going to be where you work or in your neighborhood and we've got to take those ordinary times because with Jesus those ordinary times become extraordinary and I think that's the biggest obstacle I also think monotony one day is like the last day And I think in the monotony of our lives, we sometimes get our eyes off Jesus. 
So those are the, I think, personally, the biggest obstacles. It's not the devil. It's not our flesh. It's just that we let our guard down because everything seems so normal. But let me tell you the, the one thing that we don't do is we don't spend enough time with Him. And I mean ordinary time. Ordinary time is really, really sweet time, productive time when you're with Jesus. So just be with Jesus and you'll finish well. For me, and I, at my age, I worry about this a lot. I don't worry, but, but I focus on it a lot in my prayers. I don't want getting older to slow me down. I don't want to just rest because, well, after all, you know, this is for younger men than me now. I, I want to finish my course. I, I want to keep serving the Lord. I want to be like Enoch and walk with Jesus. One day we're just walking in a completely different location in heaven. So Anonymous, I hope that helps. Just stay close to Jesus and let his presence make the ordinary times extraordinary times. Phones have been quiet. We'd love your live calls. 340-9585. We've got 30 minutes to go. 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program i'm pastor ron from calvary chapel in san antonio texas we'd love to take your phone calls and your questions let's go to line one in san antonio and talk with david david thanks for calling you're on the air Yes, I was calling because I'm a little confused about what the Bible says. There's this subject of the Bible that says that thou shalt not lie, but in the Quran it talks that it's okay to lie to a non-Muslim. I don't even know how the Quran can be biblical if there's <laughs> so much conflict. Thank you, David. That's an easy one to answer. And by the way, it's good to hear from you again. When you don't call from time to time, we worry about you. So when you call, we, we think, oh, thank you, Jesus. David's doing fine. I appreciate it very much. Okay. David, the, the, the conflict between the Bible and the Quran is simple. Uh, man wrote one of them, the Quran, and God wrote the other. That's our Bibles. And so don't expect anything written by man to have biblical content. Don't expect... Muslims and born-again Christians to have the same um, moral ethics. Uh, lying is never okay. Jesus said the, the, the devil is the father or the source of all lies. Um, lying is never okay. Uh, when we lie, it's either an intentional um, um, deceit, or that's, that's our motivation, we, 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 we intend to deceive, or we lie because our faith is weak and we're afraid. But in neither case is it okay to lie, and don't expect the Koran to say that it's not okay to lie, uh, because there's a whole different set of standards. Remember, uh, all holy books are not 
created equal. Uh, by that I mean not all holy books are really holy at all. It's just the Word of God, and you've got it right. Jesus says, do not lie. So I hope that helps, David. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Here is a question from Nacho. I like this question. Is Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 14.34 directly related to his directions to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, or are they two separate points about women's participation in church life? Nacho, they're completely separate. One is cultural. That's the reference to Corinthians. And we have to understand what was going on in Corinth. Corinth was a, a particularly wicked city. Uh, people were getting saved, having been delivered out of really horrible, sinful lifestyles. And, and they were not a control people. They were a, a people given to excess, and that excess carried over into the church. And one of the places that excess came in was in the relationships between husbands and wives. Uh, and, and the wives were talking over the husbands, and they were shouting back and forth. In that culture, this is the way we're supposed to do it today, but in that culture, the men would sit on one side and the women on another side. And you can imagine in a small uh, gathering place, as most of them would be in, in those days, that would create unbelievable confusion. So Paul is basically saying, I do not permit a woman to, 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 to speak in church. Uh, the word for speak is, is, is more literally a harangue. In other words, be kind, be respectful, be loving. If you've got a question, wait and ask your husband. That is only a cultural reference dealing with the specific problem in Corinth. How do we know that? Well, there's no appeal to Genesis, which is always hermeneutically the way we determine whether something is cultural or something is for all of us for all time. In First Timothy chapter 2, when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, the idea there is order in the church. He's talking about orderly worship. And he's really saying this, the, the Greek is, is not, I do not permit a woman to teach, nor do I permit a woman to have authority. I do not permit a woman to teach from a position of authority is really what's being communicated there. And he goes all the way back to Genesis for it wasn't man who was deceived, but it was woman. And then he explains. So the cultural uh, um, um, reference would have no appeal to Genesis. The, the mandate would appeal to Genesis, and that's exactly what Paul did. Now, the problem with that, Nacho, of course, is that uh, we've got a lot of women who are teaching from a position of authority. I personally don't think that uh, it is ever appropriate on a Sunday when people are gathered together in church uh, for a woman to teach to a mixed audience. I think that's sending the wrong message and creates confusion even if she is not a pastor and she's not exercising authority. On the other hand, there are some times during the midweek services or the smaller or the more intimate gatherings where it would be okay. In fact, I, I shared with you, um, I think yesterday in the program, uh, Paul and I did something together just this past Wednesday night, a week ago tomorrow. Uh, and, and it was very well received. I hope uh, it was very instructive. Uh, Paula has a lot to offer, perhaps more than I do, to be sure. Uh, but, but the whole idea is this is God's church, and this is the way he established the order. 
and because it's his church and because we are his servants, we have no right, Nacho. We have no right to suggest a better way. So uh, they are completely different. When you mix them together, as most um, egalitarians do, uh, your 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 interpretation of Scripture gets all messed up. So thank you, Nacho. Appreciate the question. Let's go to Alan calling from San Antonio. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Alan. Yes. Hi, uh, Pastor Ron. This is Alan, the Muslim friend. How are you today? I'm doing really well, Alan. Thanks. How are you? Oh, oh very good. Very good. Thank you. Um, I, I was just listening to the radio, and uh, there's uh, uh, one of the callers, uh, David, I guess. Um, he made a comment about the Quran that there is a lie in it, that um, uh, it, it advises people to lie to non-Muslims, and that's mm-hmm. absolutely not true. Uh, yes. It seems like David never read the Quran before because the Quran is basically... Uh, 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 the uttered word of God. It's not uh, based on Muhammad's speech, not based on Ali or, or Matthew, Luke, or anybody. It is God's own speech. And if David can find me or yourself or anybody the, uh, of, of the people that are listening can find me one sentence, one word where it says, that we sh- that Muslims should lie to non-Christians, I'm willing to accept Islam, uh, Christianity. <laughs> now, I, I, yeah, Alan, one of the reasons I didn't correct him, uh, D- David uh, listens to a lot of talk radio, and there are um, uh, misrepresentations of what the Quran say, uh, sometimes about lying to infidels, uh, unbelievers, by, in a Muslim context. Uh, and and I, I simply don't know whether or not that's the case because I don't spend time studying the Quran. So uh, I, I didn't address that. What I addressed was, and I'll address this with you as well, that uh, while the Quran says it is the Word of God, um, it's not really the Word of God, and it's demonstrably not the Word of God. Only the Bible can demonstrate that it is the Word of God through prophecy, through through uh, manuscript evidence, through through uh, the testimony of living witnesses. It's 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 a very simple uh, deduction to make. If you look at the Quran and find the inconsistencies, if you look at any holy book, there's so many inconsistencies only in our Bibles. Is there no inconsistency? Well, so well, uh, it, I'm not expert. Well, I'm not expert enough in the Quran uh, to to well, uh, it, quote uh, chapter and verse. Yeah, well, obviously, because as you mentioned, that you you never read the Quran, you never studied the Quran, and and you're making judgment based on I don't know what. But it, it seems like you never read it, you never studied it yet, but that you're making some kind of a judgment that it's not the Word of God. But if you give it a chance, if you really give it a chance, and just read it just as, as any other book, you know, just read it for the fun of it, and you might be surprised. <laughs> and I assure you that you might be surprised because that is not an ordinary book that was written by one man, one single man, but it's not his own word. It's just God made his mouth a mouthpiece, as uh, we all know, Muhammad was an illiterate man, and he produced a book. And, and the, the Bible has been written by 40 authors, 40 different authors. But if you look okay. in the Quran, you find so much knowledge, so much information about the previous uh, prophets, including Jesus himself, 
which is honored in, in the Quran, uh, uh, revered in the Quran. Even there's a chapter uh, uh, about his mother and her family. He's mm-hmm. called Mary. And, and that's an honor for us as Muslims to tell the Christians that, look, we, we and you have, have slight difference. The only difference we have is that we Christians claim Jesus to be God or Son of God. That's the only one we're different, different about. But everything else, the miracles, we know the miracles, that he didn't do the miracles on his own. It was God because of God's mm-hmm. permission. Neither Moses. Moses was not his. He even did greater, greater uh, uh, miracles. For example, he turned the stick into a snake that has no heart, no nothing. Jesus, yes, he brought death to life, but they already have blood in their system, heart, and, but most did a greater, greater, but nobody looked at that from uh, a different point of view. But what I'm saying is that the Quran, if you give it a chance and read and find me one sentence that says that Muslims should lie, and I'm willing to take Christianity. Okay, I, I don't, I don't think that that's in there, but I, I'll, I'll find out. I'll do some research. But Al, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to go yes, to CalvarySA.com this Sunday. Uh, CalvarySA.com, and we're going to uh-huh. talk about the difference in in the miracles that Jesus. We're going to close our study through the Gospel of John. We're going to look uh-huh. at the seven miracles that are reported, and I think you'll see what real miracles truly are and what the purpose of them is. And then we can talk I- again next week. Pastor Ron, I don't really deny any miracles that Jesus did. I wrote no Muslim deny any of, of his miracles. And we know that his miracles was, were done by him, but by God through him. And it's already been mentioned in the Bible that it was not even the words he said. The words that I'm speaking are not mine, but of the Father. He didn't even speak of his own words. So all the miracles that he did, and I can I can talk to you and keep on going because I I'm I study I have three versions of the Bible and I have the Quran and and I can and, and I did I do a lot of studying. I do a lot of studying. Don't get me wrong. I I love Jesus. I revere him. I respect him, and I believe what he taught. But there's some differences after he was gone, but God, after God took him up, there's so many things that has changed, especially by Paul, changed the belief of Jesus. It has been, it has been changed. And that's that, where we're... That, I'm, I'm that, statement, Alan, that, that statement, Alan, betrays uh, a real knowledge of the Bible, and the, the, the filter through which you're reading it is what needs to be sort of let go of before you read it, because what you're going to find is that what the Apostle Paul taught is 100% consistent with what Jesus taught. Not only are they consistent, but we, we've got to deal with this fact that Jesus, and you and I have gone round and round about this, we've got to deal with the fact that Jesus himself declared he was God in human flesh, and he did it repeatedly, and over and over and over his listeners understood what he was saying, and though Muslims say they revere Jesus, uh, they, they really don't revere him if they consider him anything less than the Son of God who is also God the Son. That's not only not revering him, it is diminishing um, who he said he was. And the truth is, Alan, whether or not uh, you, you'll be willing to look at it from this perspective, 
the truth is if, if Jesus wasn't God in human flesh then he wasn't even a good man he was a liar he wasn't even a good man because he repeatedly claimed to be God and that's the cross that you've got to you, you've got to, to to really bear it, it's the, the one thing that you've got to, to to sort of really dig into because if Jesus well, is truly who he said he was then everything you believe as a Muslim is incorrect and what matters more than anything else you're a nice man and we I enjoy our conversations but either Jesus was lying or he was telling the truth and if Alan he was telling the truth then what you believe is not true and truth is the only thing that matters here and we have as Christians a plumb line for truth to, to, to go by uh, try if you can to, to watch our, our, I'll, uh, our I'll, service I'll on Sunday yeah, okay. I'll definitely Thank you. try. But I will something that uh, uh, the man that yeah. came to oh. Jesus and he told them, "Good master, what, what shall I do uh, to enter the kingdom of heaven?" And what did Jesus tell him? Why do you call me good? There's nobody's good but but God in heaven. That's that's the truth because he's he's very uh, uh, humble man who did not claim to be God. And there's no sentence, there's no uh, clear statement from Jesus in the whole Bible where he said, I am God. There's none. There's what you claimed the other day. They were saying that uh, my father and I are one, but you are reading the text, but you did not read the, the from chapter 23, from, from verse 23. If you read from verse 23, you're going to find that this, that's not what Jesus actually said exactly. It was in purpose. Him and God in purpose. God said, do not kill. Jesus said, do not kill. God said, the, all the commandments, Jesus was following that. So God and Jesus are in the same command, the same uh, same one and the same purpose. Same thing with Moses. And, and, same thing with Muhammad. And, yeah, well, not, not, not Muhammad and not Moses. Hebrews talks about Jesus' superiority. That's enough for today, Alan. Let's talk oh. again next week after you listen to Sunday's study. One more thing I'm going to say, and you can listen off the air, uh, the, 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 the exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Jesus was acknowledging exactly what the rich young ruler was saying when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and called him good teacher. When Jesus said, why do you as good? Jesus was really saying to him, you recognize who I am, you know who I am, you know that I'm God. And that's the only reason that the rich young ruler would come to him and say, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus showed him that he can't obtain eternal life. He put right to the one issue that stood between this rich young man and God. And, and the man walked away really sad from the exchange. So it wasn't Jesus denying that he was God. He was acknowledging, why do you call me good? What he was saying to him is, you understand something about me. That's why you've come to me. And that's also why he walked away sad, because he understood very, very clearly that he was saying no to God in human flesh. Over and over and over, Jesus declared himself God. Did he say the words, I am God, to satisfy a 21st century Western culture? No. What he said was, I am. Over and over, he made the I am statements. He says he's the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, the ancient of days, over and over and over. Not only that, every statement was validated by an empty tomb. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from George. 
Uh, I was given a journal to write my prayers in. Is that okay instead of speaking them out? George, any conversation you have with God is okay. Any conversation you have. If you're more comfortable uh, to to some, journaling your prayers uh, feels more intimate. Anything that you do to communicate with God is okay. But I wouldn't limit... um, to just one one manner. Paula, uh, during our times of prayer on Saturday morning, she's writing like crazy. Uh, God started her journaling her prayers long before I ever got saved. All of those things are okay. But talk to him too. So do it all. Uh, one of the great benefits of Paula journaling her prayers is is. We have the ability now to go back and see how many prayers have been answered. And um, she's got literally a a written um, history of God's dealings with me in in answer to her prayers for those 13 years that she was praying for me. So uh, if you feel more comfortable, sure, it's okay to write them. God can read just as he can hear. Uh, but, But please, George, don't exclusively do that. Because there's nothing quite like getting out and talking to your friend. I think sometimes we make prayer too difficult in, in the sense that we feel like we've got to be on our knees in a dark room and our minds wander and it's just uncomfortable and awkward. Just talk to Jesus wherever you are. That's what prayer is. It's conversation with a God who loves you and a God who proved that he loved you. So I hope that that helps a little bit. George, thank you very, very much. Let's go to Mike holding on line one. Mike, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, so I was doing some study, and uh, your, your conversation with Alan actually uh, sparked this in my mind. Let um, me remember, I was doing some study last week, and uh, I was going through Isaiah. Uh, God says, I am the first and the last. Uh, and then I remembered in Revelation, Jesus says, uh, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I believe he says I'm the first and the last at the beginning. Yes, he does. Um, what, he says, he says that it twice in Revelation. Absolutely. In, in Revelation 1, also at the end of Revelation, I think chapter 21, uh, might be chapter 20, I'm not sure, but uh, um, um, he, 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 he asserts his deity. Um, by by assigning himself the same title that God of the Old Testament used to describe himself. You know, the, 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 the hang-up, Mike, is the Trinity. Um, you know, the idea to a Muslim or the idea to uh, a non-Trinitarian that God is one in three persons uh, is, is a real stumbling block. And the only way that veil is ever going to be removed is by turning to Jesus. He's got the answers. When you turn to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and lives uh, within you. And at that point, then there's some insight. But yes, Revelation 1, Revelation uh, chapter 19, I think it is now, uh, in retrospect, uh, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And and, uh, all of the descriptions of Jesus are the very same words used uh, to describe Jesus. He's called the Ancient of Days. But it's not just that. In the New Testament, 
Jesus repeatedly says that I am God. Now, he doesn't use those three words that would satisfy a Western mindset. But every time he, he makes these statements, the, his enemies pick up stones to stone him because they say, you, a mere man, claim to be God. They understood exactly what he was saying. And it's really not an honest um, um, scholarship to say he never said he was God. You can say Jesus claimed to be God, but he's crazy. At least, at least that's honest. But you can not read the Gospel of John. You can't read the four Gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry and come to any conclusion other than he said he was God. He had the, the ability to forgive sins. He was the living water. Uh, he was the door that, that we must come through. He was the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, even when they came to arrest him, the, the literal words that he used when they said, we're looking for Jesus, he said, I am. Over and over and over. And that's the, 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 the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Who should I say sent me, Moses said. I am. The other disconnect people have, Mike, is that they, they take the words of Jesus and they ignore the clear teaching in the New Testament that Jesus is the exact representation. That can't be any stronger a comment in the Greek language. He is the exact representation of his being. He looked at Philip and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one over and over and over. In John 17, in Jesus' is what we call the high priestly prayer, uh, the, the references to their oneness is that are repeated. So um, uh, over and over and over, Jesus. If, if you Google uh, Mike and everybody in the audience, Google uh, the times Jesus declared himself to be God, uh, there, uh, the, 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 the response that you'll get will be overwhelming. Uh, you just have to be willing to understand that. Does that help you? Yeah, yeah. And on, on that same note, um, I, I've been reading the NIV for a long time, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm starting to get a little bit ticked off with some of the translational choices that they they do. <laughs> uh, I was wondering when I was wondering when uh, when he says, "If you do not believe, or yeah, if you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sin." In the Greek, mm -hmm. does he say, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your exactly. sin? Exactly. That's it. I am. If you do not believe uh, okay. that I am, you will die in your sin. So over and over. And I, uh, boy, you've got my heart here, Mike, on the NIV. I got so frustrated at the conference I was at. When I travel, I often don't take my Bible because I'll take it on my iPad. And I can't get the 1984 version of the NIV on my iPad. So the, the 2011 version comes up. And, and they were saying a passage of Scripture. It said, if any man, and, and then I looked in, in the, the, the 2011 NIV, it says, if anyone. And, and the context demands, we're talking about a male person. So I'm, I'm joining your pain there. I think I'm going to, I thought I was going to go to ESV. I think I'm going to go to the New King James eventually. But I hate change, so that'll be uh, a little bit longer. Mike, thanks for calling. I appreciate it very, very much. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor. Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we'd love to have you participate with us tomorrow. God bless you. See you at four. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at four, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh,